soul-level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guests' spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. have another spiritual and musical treat today for Song of the Soul. My guest is singer-songwriter Susan Stark. I've known of Susan's music since the early 1980s, and although I hadn't heard from her in some time, I became aware that she was going to be at the same national Quaker gathering I attend annually, the Friends General Conference gathering. So we set up an interview with a live audience. I take you now to an auditorium at the University in Johnstown, Pennsylvania for a musical soul-deep visit with Susan Stark. I want to welcome all of you sitting here today to be present for a Song of the Soul presentation by Susan Stark. Thank you very much, Susan, for joining me today for Song of the Soul. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I haven't seen Susan for... A long time. Susan, you haven't been at the gathering for a number of years, right? No. I was supposed to be here in 2002. I was to be there to do the final sharing of that Quaker quilt of Quaker musicians. But then in the few weeks just before that, I, my life just ran in a totally different direction. And the day we would have left, I got a diagnosis of very aggressive breast cancer. So Carol went ahead and went, my friend and business partner here, Carol Savory, and just, it was, apparently it was just so organic and just, it, it just, everybody worked well together and they didn't need me physically there. We'd really done the work. All we needed to do was to show up and let spirit guide us through the rest. And they did it. But you had aggressive breast cancer 
and this is another six years later, and you're looking great. Thank you. So, oh, <laughs> what happened for you in between? My hair grew back. <laughs> Mine didn't. I know. <laughs> oh, gosh, what's happened in between? Well, there was a very long year of treatments and then recovery. My two daughters got successfully launched with the help of my husband, Jeff, and Clear Creek Meeting in Richmond, a couple of representatives here, the Frasers. We survived, but not unscathed, the 9-11 attack. That kind of launched me into a real concern to understand more of the real large-scale dramas going on and the struggle, I guess, between those who would enslave the human spirit and enslave humanity and those who would trust its expression, its positive potential. So I've been thinking about that a lot. Two and a half years ago, we realized that my mother who had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's about a year before that, she and dad were really having a hard time. My dad had had a stroke 13 years ago and uh, was doing really quite well, but, you know, caring for somebody with Alzheimer's is a, it really is, to quote myself on one of my album covers, you know, a privately monumental undertaking. So we kind of ripped up our roots and, and went down there, said we'd come when they needed us. So we're in Pleasant Hill, Tennessee, and if you're ever traveling through, give us a call. You've got a place to stay. But I'm working with my folks a lot. That, that is my main focus right now. And rich time for song crafting, but not a whole lot of downtime to be able to actually do the job of integrating the life experience and putting it into song form. You've been doing music, I'm assuming, all of your life. But I don't, I'd met you in the 80s and heard you singing, right. and I said, this is a voice of the Spirit. So where did you start with music? My mom recognized that I was a really musical little kid when I was about three, convinced Dad that they really should do what they could to invest in the developing of that. So they made it possible to have 14 years of classical piano training. And I want to just add that a year ago, I got the information that I, some of the information that I didn't know about. Um, I was adopted when I was six months old. And I've lived a life wondering, you know, about environment versus inheritance. You know, where do we get these, these traits and these abilities or these proclivities? The adoption agency had had a huge fire and lots of files had been destroyed, but mine miraculously was not destroyed. And I learned more things about my birth parents um, that my father loved charcoal drawing, was known for that, for his guitar playing and his sweet temperament. <laughs> and that my mother played the piano very well when she was a model. They were both active in their church choirs. And that the family histories do involve a lot of music. So I have four parents, four family streams that have uh, uh, given a lot to me. And so I just feel very blessed by that and like I want to keep paying it on. <laughs> you were a church choir yourself, I'm assuming. Were you raised religiously? Yeah. My father was a very outspoken minister. He comes from an old German pacifist tradition and was involved in the merger of the ENR and the Congregational, Congregational being the English tradition. And they merged to form the United Church of Christ in the late 50s. So he was instrumental in that. They were always involved in anti-war and civil rights uh, undertakings. And so there was the music from those from a lot of faith traditions. Uh, I was raised on the, the freedom songs, on old German hymns, uh, music of the social gospel. I would have to say that that's a really strong influence on me. 
But then also, with the Vietnam War raging, having these luminaries, these folk luminaries arise, like Pete Seeger, John Baez, uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary, that really got my attention. And also, when I was about eight years old, probably about eight years old, my mother took me to hear Marian Anderson. The audience was a mixed audience, which was unusual at that time. And there was this dignified woman on the stage with this huge velvet voice and this grand presence. And she invited us at one point to all sing He's Got the Whole World in His Hands together. And just the most beautiful heavenly sound arose up, all these voices. I guess I would have to say that that was one of the early mystical experiences I had. I just, there was suddenly this huge light all around me. And this voice that basically said, that's it. That's what my work is, to help the people understand that they really are all one. And then after a while, the light went away, and there I was, still this little kid, sitting in the audience with my mother. And about 25 years later, I told her the story. But it was really, I have to say, like, that's when the Geiger counter switched on. The words I can use sometimes to describe it is when I'm singing and when I'm sharing and when I'm letting the creative process come through, I'm in my zone. I feel like I am just, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. You said that was your first mystical experience. How old were you then? That was maybe the second one I had. <laughs> Do we get to hear number one, too? If you'd like. I had this when and, I was and little. And how old you were? Oh, I don't know, five or six or something. I mean, I was a little kid. I would, I would spend my Sundays, you know, just drinking in these sermons and then being able to, you know, ask my dad all kinds of questions afterwards. And my mom would always sit next to me, you know, trying to, you know, do this, do that, sit down, sit down, you know, sh- you go, sit up straight. But the, during the sermon, she'd leave me alone. So between her wanting me to be proper and presentable and him trying to really live and study and teach and preach about what would Jesus do, it was interesting and rich. But I remember as a little kid, we had this little nativity scene with the old German statues, little painted German statues, and the tree would be lit at Christmas time. I remember how sad I felt when I, when I understood that baby Jesus then grew up and then he was, he was tortured and murdered. The way the narrative went, as I learned it, it was willingness to pay the price for being faithful. I remember finding myself at the, at the foot of the cross, you know, and, and, and there was all this craziness going on around me. And I remember looking up at him and just love and sadness just come rolling down. And he just looked right through me. He just looked right through me. So that image just kind of came rolling down through the years with me. But the way I would characterize it was I, I, I really had a pretty profound experience of growing up in this amazing laboratory where I had the chance to study the difference or the contrast between what I would call churchianity and, on the other hand, the possibilities of, of Christianity. Just trying to apply it and listen to what it means and where you find yourself in history. The first song that you picked out for your Song of the Soul is Why Do You Fight Me? And, you know, this is between you and God and holding back, or us and God. Right. I'm not sure which way you intended it when you wrote it. 
I'll ask you that, but I was also wondering if it was your case study that you did that fight, you held back from God, after having had those profound experiences even so early. Um, yeah, the subtitle to the song is God's Love Song. So it really is God singing the song to me, or through me. As I have in the in the liner notes, I was at Orlam School of Religion at the time, and it was an assignment by a professor, and I wrote it in the form of, of a song. And I was really wrestling with, can women really embrace the teachings of, of Jesus having to do with submission and obedience when the abuses of those terms have meant so much suffering, women having to suffer so much. And the answer came to me, you know, separate the wheat from the chaff, know me and trust me, I, you know, I've always loved you. So that's, the song was out of that. Why Do You Fight Me? by Susan Stark.
Why Do You Fight Me by Susan Stark. Susan, it sounds to me like you had to get to some kind of submission or a truce, at least, with God to get there. Are you still there? When you talk about having cancer, I think of how angry I get at my own vulnerability. Yeah, that's probably the heart of it. The other thing is, I mean, I don't know how many 10-year-olds, uh, the big question in their life is, why did the Hebrew prophets have to die? I mean, that that's a little weird. But anyway, just um, if truth needs spokespeople, and if most of your models that are that you hear about growing up got killed and are being killed during your childhood, I mean, there's a real big disincentive there, you know, to kind of join the club. It just... <laughs> It's really tough, and then and just so angry at humanity sometimes. So I guess it's been a lifetime of trying to move off of anger or, or to channel it, some kind of righteous rage or something, into compassion and, and, and invitation. Did you stay UCC? Did you give it up? I, I've known you as a, a Quaker, so how did you get from one to the other? Well... My dad and his brother Walter were both very against World War II. Dad was a conscientious objector, as were many from his church. And Walter was a total non-cooperator and spent the war years in prison. And they each had a lot of contact with Quakers. Uh, Dad did his alternative service, including working at Friends Hospital in Byberry in Philadelphia. So I think he worshipped at Arch Street or 50, I don't remember which. But both brothers seriously considered joining the Religious Society of Friends and then decided... No, what we really want to do is to go into the pastoral ministry to strengthen the Christian peacemaking testimony. So growing up, these Quakers were my parents' friends. And then as I just got more and more acquainted with the Religious Society of Friends, having decided to go to a Quaker school, I went to Wilmington College in Wilmington, Ohio. I, I just, I, it felt like a homecoming. The first song you chose was, <laughs> why, why Do You Fight Me? And to stay with that exact same tone you chose for your next song, Silly, Silly Song, uh, I was trying to trace your development there. I, <laughs> why did you pick Silly, Silly Song I mean, for your second obvious. song? It's not obvious, no. Well, you know, we all take ourselves so seriously. I had a lot of parents of Quaker children tell me after the release of The Child of the Nuclear Age, the first album, that... They love the album. They've had so many wonderful conversations with their children. But could I do one that was more of a family tape, you know, that had really good energy but wouldn't have the kids bouncing off the walls in inanity and driving the parents crazy? So with that order, I went to work and put the Rainbow People tape together. While I was working on it, I was also getting less and less air available to me because I was pregnant with our second child, Crystal. And so I finally had to stop the studio work and then have the baby and then come back and finish it. So that allowed the Silly Silly song to come to me because Satya, when she was two, when she was two and a half, we moved to the meeting school a few months after Crystal was born. And we were on the staff there. And I just put Crystal down for a nap and then Satya and I were downstairs and I had my guitar. So... She and I wrote Silly Silly Song, and I tried to incorporate into the song, you know, we, we, we kind of brainstormed on what the verses might be about, and things in our lives, you know, encouraging, you know, sharing, and something about kitty cats had to be in it, and singing, and hugging, and food, and it just kind of wrote itself. And it's from 
Susan Stark's second album, Rainbow People. Matter of fact, it's first cut on side B because it is on cassette. The song is Silly Silly Song, Susan Stark's second album, Rainbow People. Sing me a silly, silly song, my dear. Sing me a silly, silly song. You can make it short or you can make it long. Just sing me a silly, silly song. Draw me a picture of a rose, my dear. Draw me a picture of a rose. You can make it pretty and you can give it a nose. Draw me a picture of a rose. Bring me a fuzzy, fuzzy cat, my dear. Bring me a fuzzy, fuzzy cat. You can make it skinny or you can make it fat. Just bring me a fuzzy, fuzzy cat. Bring me a juicy, juicy pear, my dear. Bring me a juicy, juicy pear. And you can have some pear because I love to share. Just bring me a juicy, juicy pear. Let me give to you a great big hug. Let me give to you a hug. We can hug each other like two snuggly bugs. Oh, let me give to you a hug Oh, well, you gave me a song and you gave me a rose You gave me a cat and a juicy, juicy pear You gave me a hug and I gave you one too And that's because I love, love you song or you can make it short or you can make it long just sing me a silly silly song so where should we go next in your song of the soul what would you like next well I think I'd like to do live up to the light and I would say that those of you that know it, sing with me, sing on the chorus. Um, this is probably the most well-known of the songs I've written. It's based on journal writings of Caroline Fox, who was born in London about 1800. It was just a gift to me in my life. I was not, and still I'm not that dissimilar to Barbara Reynolds, founder of the World Friendship Center and the Hiroshima Nagasaki Peace Resource Center, who was, until her, what I felt was an untimely death, just really tried to be faithful to a calling to spread the message of the A-bomb survivors to the world, you know, that we just should have nothing to do with, with war and such terrible weapons. And she never felt like she was the best instrument, but she felt like to be faithful she needed to do it anyway to the best of her ability, and somehow God would use her anyway. So the refrain is especially powerful to me in how it, it speaks to that doubt in me, sometimes about that I'm not doing enough, or I'm not doing it right, or I'm not doing it, you know, somehow inadequate. Well, then would you sing for us, Live Up to the Light? Sure would. The first gleam of light, the cold light of morning, held a promise of day with its noontide glories. 
It dawned on me as I mused on my state in great sadness. The words that came to my spirit, how true and how clearly they rang. Live up to the light, the light that thou hast. Live up to the truth and remember my child. You are never alone, no, never. Oh, live up to the light that thou hast, and more will be granted thee, will be granted thee. Oh, live up to the light thou hast. I do not regret the troubles and doubts which I have journeyed through. They keep teaching me patience and humble devotion. Forget not in darkness what in the light ye knew to be the truth. Live up to the light, the light that thou hast. Live up to the truth and remember my child. You are never alone, no, never. Oh, live up to the light that thou hast, and more will be granted thee, will be granted thee. Oh, live up to the light thou hast. Dear God, we pray, increase our faith, and keep us in your love and light. Faith is but a gift from thee. Oh, hear our prayer. Oh, thou who art closer than breath to us, hold us secure lest we fall. Live up to the light, the light that thou hast. Live up to the truth and remember my child. You are never alone, no, never. Oh, live up to the light that thou hast and more will be granted thee will be granted thee. Oh, live up to the light thou hast. Thank you very much, Susan. That was live up to the light. I owe a double debt of gratitude to Susan for that song. The very first time that I actually met the woman who is now my wife, we were part of a religious education committee for Northern Yearly Meeting. So we were in this small group and we had worship. And I was led to sing the chorus of that out of our worship. And I think that in spite of all the other factors I had going against me, 
that song keyed into a part in her and, and formed a connection that later grew to become our love. So I just want to let you know that you, you bear great responsibility for great joy in my life. Thank you. Well, I have harbored a secret longing to be a, a matchmaker. <laughs> you succeeded. <laughs> Where should we go next in your Song of the Soul, Susan? Music Be There, that's kind of a fun one. That only takes a couple minutes. We needed two more minutes on side two, on Canción de la Loba album, the Song of the She-Wolf album. It's really whimsical, and it's an example of if you just open yourself, you can write a song about anything, and just at the drop of a hat, just see what comes. And I had a lot of fun with that one, kind of stacking and trying to combine songs that were you know, different songs, but sing them at the same time and have them be compatible. Like... Um, I'll give you just a little taste of that one. I'm not going to sing the whole thing. Uh, what does it do? It starts out. And then it goes. A music be there in the morning. Music be there in the night. Music be there like a lover. Hold you gentle. Hold you tight. Okay. And then, I, and then there's other verses to it. And then I heard that would go along with that, the rope jumping thing from elementary on the playground, you know. Blue bells, cockle shells, easy icy over. So you heard that voice in there. And then I also heard, I don't know if I can get down there, but I credit the voice that I did, that did the Mama's Little Babies Got Shortening and Shortening. I credit the voice and I called it Nassus Kratz, which is just my name backwards. I went, Mama's little baby loves short and short and Mama's little baby loves short and red. Mama's little baby loves short. Okay, so it was just a fun song. I just squished it all together. <laughs> so there is a clown in me. There's a very playful part of me, and I think it's really important that I honor it and put it out there to animate and activate all the lovely stuff in us. That was Canción de la Loba. Mm -hmm. Why the she-wolf? When FGC was at Carleton, Minnesota? In the worship, who was there that last worship? Who heard that wolf howl? Okay. I had this wolf come to me in a vision during that final worship, and she just looked right through me. She asked me to sing on behalf of her and her, and her, and her babies. And I, I, I was aware at that time of you know, the ongoing plight of the wolves with the advance of so-called civilization. And that's all metaphorical, too, for the plight of, of women in history and many places in the world. Also, the plight of the desaparecidas, the people get disappeared by the death squads that are trained and financed by U.S. tax dollars. And, and just that whole thing just was kind of wrangling around inside me. And my friend, uh, Christopher King, who is also a poet, a songwriter, and a playwright, he wrote this song for me in Spanish. And so anyway, out of that meeting for worship, I just thought, I mean, I, I didn't know what that meant. And then something just pushed me up out of the bench and had me standing there. And then I realized what was about to happen. I thought, oh, no, you know, people have heart attacks. So it's going to happen. And then I just, this howl just let loose in me. Just the most ripping thing. I don't know what it was like to people listening to it, but it just tore me up inside. So I, she's been with me ever since. It happens that Susan is in the workshop that I'm leading here this week. And this morning we were 
doing worship in a form that I call unprogramming Quaker worship and encouraging people to really honor the messages as they come through them and not to stifle them. That sounds like one that you wanted to stifle, didn't you? I mean, I can just say for myself that I might have felt embarrassed to do that. Not that it would have stopped me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I knew there was no precedent that I knew of, but yeah. yeah. I mean, it was so powerful. It just rocked me. But I, I've been in the presence of, and I've had it happen, you know, when people are just really, you know, just the, a wailing kind of cry, deep cry, you know. So I gave over to it. The Cancion de la Loba tape uh-huh. came out in 1992. What have you been doing since then, musically? What am I doing musically? My gosh. Um, trying to stay active with friends, and I've done a fair bit of concerts over the years for organizations doing work I believe in. I've read for the world, AFSC, Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, FOR, and formed a business, yes, with Carol, and that's been a, a major step forward. Part of what I'm trying to sort out for you a lot of musicians, their music is their work, and what they sing about, I mean, they have preferences, but what they sing about is open to the moment. And it sounds to me like you can't sing without singing your ministry. Does that make sense to you, the difference between just, I'm a singer, so I'm singing the songs I like, as opposed to, I've got to sing right Yeah, I mean, really early on, I was real clear, I hoped to be entertaining and inspiring, But I am not just an entertainer, and I never really want to be, no. I see myself as sort of a, kind of a prophetic voice uh, to inspire, to uh, nurture, to reassure. Very nurturing, I hope. The next CD, you actually came out with a CD. You have your tapes, and then you have a CD you came out with. Phoenix Sings at Sundown. Mm -hmm. How did you get there? Well, I mentioned Barbara Reynolds before and all her work around Hiroshima and Nagasaki and survivors and all. On each album, I've tried to, in some way or another, give a nod to Barbara and her work and uh, just remember her. And so the Phoenix imagery, you know, the Phoenix shows up in so many different cultures. You know, out of the ashes of the crane arises the Phoenix, the firebird, which is in some ways kind of like the empty cross, you know, spirit triumphing over death, death having many definitions. So in 1992, I did a very sad and terrifying thing. I left my first husband. We worked with a mediator and kind of restructured our family, and we did divorce. And just the responsibility of still caring for these little girls and having them feel sustained love and commitment, even though this horrible thing had happened in our family life. The image on the cover of that that shows a a firebird with two little chickies under her wings I realized that Phoenix was me, and I had to rise up kind of out of the ashes of all of that and still sing my little ones to sleep every night. So the image of a, of a bird, like a firebird singing, you know, that was very, very powerful image. By the way, the email address, we're Sizzle First and Sizzle Second. Sizzle First is S-I-Z-Z-L-E-1-S-T, the abbreviation for first, at AOL.com, and then I'm Sizzle Second at AOL.com. <laughs> And why sizzle? Because butterfly was already taken, and then butterfly, and then sizzle, and one of the music to sizzle, and... Makes sense. The thing that I really wanted to do was to create this album as a resource for caregiving, as a sacred time and space. And that even when we're really, really tired, we've got to reach in and find the best of us to do that. 
Phoenix Sings at Sundown by Susan Stark, my guest for today's Song of the Soul.
Phoenix Sings at Sundown, just one of many great tracks on the Phoenix Sings at Sundown CD, which, Susan, you produced it back in 1999, but you mentioned earlier that you've got a lot of music that's been coming through you that you've been writing down. Is there any hope that you would sing live for us your new stuff? Yes. I was hoping you would ask. (laughs) What's the direction you're going? You've got kids who are growing up. They're leaving the nest. You've got yourself ready to burst upon the world. Are you ready to go on tour? My main commitment right now is to really be there for my folks. And so to connect, and I'm finding, I just feel so blessed here at this conference, that I'm connecting with people like you who are light years ahead of me in terms of communications technology and can help me to learn what I need to learn, connect to the people that I, we need to connect with so that I can get a web presence out there so the music can go out, I can communicate out to people even though I can't be out on the road so much of the time, you know, doing concerts, booking and all that. That's my hope is to, to work in that direction. I would say there's no shortages of the sorts of songs that I would like to write. One of the things that I hope to be able to do is to help connect the dots for people in terms of worldview and help to connect things that many people don't understand are absolutely connected. A lot of people kind of need some help in fleshing out the idea of thinking globally, acting locally, for instance. I'm not a real deep student of history, but I I am very interested to know, especially a lot of the history of the peoples that didn't have the money and the power to write the history books, uh, help their stories get told. I also like to find ways to elevate and uh, give voice to accessible heroes, just people in everyday life, people just doing amazing things, just giving so much. So that's something I'd like to do. I would like to really get much more proficient on guitar. I'd like to learn how to actually use a computer to write and publish music. I've had people telling me for over 30 years, would you please make songbooks and write these songs out so that we can use them in our meetings and in our schools, our communities in general. And I, you know, I do my little handwritten copies and, you know, I send them out to people over the years, but that's terribly laborious. And I really don't have the time and the energy to do that. So that's one of our goals. Uh, We'd like to get the, the albums that are on cassette reformatted into CDs. And we have the DAT masters done. We have the mastering done. We need to work on the paper goods. Um, probably have to do a lot of fundraising and, and do some uh, grant proposal writing and get ideas from people for where funding sources can come from to do those sorts of things. And also, we do all this, what we do with this business, totally, I mean, it's volunteer. We don't really pay ourselves. And would really like to change that. I'd, I'd really like, in the old Quaker sense, to be released to do my work. You have plans for a new CD, right? Yep. Uh, can you share with us some of the music from that? Sure. This is the title cut. It's called Connected at the Heart. And this is a conversation across the veil. Spirit is not bound by time or space. We can be together, though not face to face. All I have to do is see you tap into your soul. It matters not since last we met 
nor how living takes its toll. We are connected at the heart always. We are connected at the heart always. Death, though but a passage, has its sting. I would love to see and hold you more than anything. The curtain that divides us does not extend inside us. Keep confident and hold me close and call me when you need me most. I'll come to you. I'll never break the tie that binds. I'll come to you. I'll never break the tie that binds. I wish that you could see and know that I am near. In dreams we walk together through the seasons of the year. The days we have upon the earth are numbered from the start. And all that any one of us can do to play our part. Is love the best we can and shoot straight from the heart? Is love the best we can and shoot straight from the heart? No one said it would be easy. No one said we wouldn't fall. How exquisite is the pain and the courage to stand tall. The naked fear, the awful shame, the vexing stubborn pride. The contradicting passions and the loneliness inside. How the currents swirl around us as we search for higher ground. How the currents swirls around us as we search for higher ground. How sacred and capricious and surreal. The only things we really have are love and how we feel. This living is an awful thing, so precious and so brief. We face the hour of death with both deep sorrow and relief. And so we learn, we love, we choose, we lose, we grow. And so we love, we learn, we lose, we choose, we grow. And so we love, we learn, we lose, we choose, we grow. And I know you've always loved me. And I've always loved you so. That was connected at the heart. Was that one at least in part for your parents in anticipation? I mean, I'm assuming that's a big part of where you're at right now. My mother's mother, Grandma Grace, I was very close to. And um, I have tried to express something of what that relationship has continued to be even after she's, after she's passed on. She's, she's been with me a lot. That was probably the real thing that got that song written. Thanks for passing around us. Yeah. You care to choose another one from your sure. upcoming CD? Sure. 
I'm very attracted to black gospel and jazz and blues style. You just have to kind of imagine, you know, some big fat bassy stuff underneath or, you know, kind of thick kind of bluesy chords. This is one that I wrote. Uh, there, there's two I'd like to do, and I'll try and keep it quick. This one is called Rise, Rise Above It. I'm just going to do the chorus, the first verse, and the chorus of it. Part of the reason I keep looking at the words is that when I had the cancer treatment, when I went through all that stuff between 2002 and 2003, the, uh, one of the effects of the chemo, the chemo drugs and the radiation was it really kind of fried my brain, garbled up my speech and affected my short-term memory, and I don't know what all it did. I met one person, she, was a, she taught nursing, and then she had cancer, and then she never got her memory back. She had to stop working early, but I keep having to look at the, wor- at the words because I'm not always confident of, that I'll get it. So if you don't mind me looking on the cheat sheet, <laughs> I'll just read what I wrote here. It says, first written in 1991 at the Beth House after an encounter with somebody I felt and heard but could not see as I stood in our cluttered living room, literally between the broom closet and the piano, desperately needing to attend to both and having a few precious moments without little ones. She sort of grabbed my shoulder and said, rise above it, honey, ain't always going to look like this. It was like this Harriet Tubman-type energy. I just, just grabbed my shoulder. So, not being one to argue with an angel, I went to the piano and I wrote the song, and then I cleaned the house. <laughs> so, it, it goes like this. Rise, rise, rise above it. Rise up and take your stand. Arise, rise, arise above it. Go right around the corner, be the promised land. Well, I was singing the blues. And I was singing such a sad, sad song. Well, I was singing them blues. You know that everything was going wrong. As I was wailing them blues, an angel came and tapped me on the shoulder, sweetly singing, Now rise, rise, rise above it, rise up and take your stand. Rise, rise, rise above it. Right around the corner be the promised land. That's some of that. Hooray. <laughs> rise, rise. Mm-hmm. And then uh, years ago, I wrote this song because I knew I was going to be performing for the Springfield, Massachusetts Habitat for Humanity. I hear this like a big black gospel choir doing this, like where you got the leader sound, then kind of an echo thing in harmony with the choir, but. This song is called A Roof Over My Head. It was written in 1992 after I was in the very strange place of being homeless with a a Chevy Suburban and a grand piano. This goes like this. A roof over my head A warm inviting bed Good food to eat And love that's sweet 
and work for which I'm proud. A roof over my head, a place to call my own, no matter how fancy or new Just something called home, so I'm not on the street. Foxes got holes and bears got dens. Birds have their nests, and I need a friend. To help me find a home So I don't have to roam These nights in the cold Are misery untold But they hardly compare With the cold-hearted stare Of the one with the home who won't care a roof over my head a place to come my own and no matter how fancy or new something called home so I'm not on the street thanks Susan roof over my head Susan thanks so much for sharing your song of the soul it's so good to connect with you after all these years <laughs> and, and to be able to actually tell you to your face that you played a part in the deepest things in my heart. So thank you again, Susan. Thank you, Mark. Thank you so much. You've been listening to a Song of the Soul interview with Susan Stark. You can contact her via her business partner, Carol, at sizzlefirst at aol.com. That's S-I-Z-Z-L-E-1-S-T at aol.com. You can find that email address on my website northernspiritradio.org The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again, track down the list of songs included and a whole lot more on my website northernspiritradio.org and I invite you to share your Song of the Soul with my listeners. Just contact me via my website. And please, join me weekly for Song of the Soul. You can 